This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Flushing is Burning. I'm Grace, and as always, I'm here with Christian. Christian, how you doing? I feel like I need to have a conversation with Billy Epler <laughs> about the direction of this organization. Because uh, I thought I knew what was, I thought I knew what was going on, but uh, some of the players seem to be expressing some confusion, and I'm not exactly sure where that's coming yeah, from. Yeah, I mean, you might you might have to get online. It sounds like there's a few other people who also want to have that conversation with Billy Epler. Yeah, I, I don't I – mean, I mean, I understand why players might express frustration, but it's the whole shock and confusion part that is getting to me. Is it is it the Beats just simply misrepresenting quotes, or is is the clubhouse just really not on the same page with what the front office is doing right now? Um, Kind of sounds to me like a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I, like, it's – everything about this is weird. I'm also confused. Um. I went to the game last night. It felt like a morgue in there. Like, the vibe was terrible. But, like, wow. Did not expect that. And, you know, like, part of me expected it. Like, part of me was like, all right, I can see them doing it. But I, it blindsided me in a way. The Scherzer trade. Let's let's say it. You know, I feel like we're talking around it. The Scherzer trade. Exactly. So what what we need to, to say is that we're recording this on a Sunday, the day after the Max Scherzer trade went down. By the time this episode is released, the trade deadline will have likely passed. So as of right now, the information that we are working with is the David Robertson trade and the Max Scherzer trade. I think we should start with the David Robertson trade, not just because it was also a big trade, but it seemed to be the catalyst for what happened only a couple of days later. So you want to get into like what exactly the Mets got out of the Robertson trade? Yes. Yeah, so uh, they traded, what was that, Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, because they-, they- I think Friday. I think it was or, Friday. It was, it was like right after the game on Thursday, I think, because I went to a concert Thursday night, missed 90% of that game. Um, I did get poured on. Um, but it it was like right after that game because they had warmed him up, and then the rain delay happened, and then after the rain, de- rain delay, he was nowhere to be found, and the trades like stuff came out. Um, so they traded David Robertson, which I don't think is a huge, that's not a huge shock given where the team is and how they've been doing. And he was a one-year player. So this is a pure rental for the Marlins. They're getting two months of David Robertson. The Mets got two prospects, Marco Vargas, uh, an infielder, 
prospect and uh, Ronald Hernandez, who's a catching prospect. Um, a very weird, like, amount of information came out. Very, like, two very different groups, uh, like, divided opinions, um, which I will label, like, the people who know stuff and the people who don't, where, like, the prospect people, people who really pay attention to this, were raving about getting Marco Vargas for two months of David Robertson. They apparently is a very good prospect, has been very good this year, is probably going to shoot up a lot of people's uh, prospect lists in the offseason. Um, and then the people who were just like, why well, they just get their 18th and 21st prospect, not realizing that these lists were from February and weren't updated. And Marco Vargas seems to be a very good prospect, um, which is surprising for what we know David Ep- uh, Billy Epler to have done last year at the trade deadline that while he may not be great at buying, apparently very good at selling, um, probably has a lot of practice at that. Um, It's a very interesting trade. I'm not a huge, I don't know a ton about prospects. So I defer to the people who seem to know more about this. And if they think this is good, then I'm, I'm happy with this two months of David Robertson. They can resign him in the off season. The detractors from the Robertson trade liked to point out that Robertson was likely the best closer on the market, even if that is the case, and it might be the case. There is a redundancy at the closer position for next year for the Mets because the Mets employ the best closer in baseball. (laughs) And so the, the need for David Robertson to close games in 2024 hopefully will be close to zero, making him an essential part of the 2023 team, but only if this team wants to win. And as we have seen, I don't necessarily think that's the direction at least the front office wants to go in, if not the players, because there was uh, some very public uh, disgruntlement coming from one Max Scherzer (laughs) almost immediately after the David Robertson trade that expressed a, a very confusing amount of frustration, maybe not confusing in the sense that uh, Scherzer is a very competitive person and um, thinks he was signing up for one thing and now feels as if he's in a different situation. Um, but there was an airing of grievances from from Scherzer in a way that we haven't really seen, at least in a Mets uniform. Yeah, it's he's a very competitive person. And I think I, I can see both sides of this, where if I'm Max Scherzer, I'm pissed off. But I'm also pissed off from like week number three of the season that the team is just terrible. And part of that falls on Scherzer, which I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact comments, but I'm pretty sure he did touch on that. Like, you know, they all need to have played better for this not to be a scenario. But at the same time, if you're the front office and you're looking at this team, you've got to be real with yourself here and say, we're probably not going nowhere fast this season. Let's trade a guy like David Robertson, who we're not going to have, we don't have on, like, signed for next year. This is purely a 2023 thing. You can re-sign him in the offseason, but him signing with the Marlins still doesn't, him trading to the, being traded to the Marlins doesn't preclude you from doing that anyway, unless the Marlins extend him in the next two months, which he's 39 years old. I don't see them doing that. They also don't like spending that much money. Um, I, I get where Scherzer was coming from. Um, and <laughs> very clearly, um, him in the front office had some difference of opinion on the situation, given the events that, that succeeded the next 48 hours. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was very interesting to see his very specific type of reaction because in the, we'll get into to this in a little bit, but in the wake of his trade, the player reaction was different. It wasn't so much anger or frustration as it was shock and dismay, I would say would be the, the, the better way to put that. And what confused me about the shock and dismay was all the rumor posts for weeks that we had been getting about Max Scherzer being on the trading block. And it makes me think, especially with the reports that we got pregame from both Steve Gelbs and Steve Cohen, Steve Cohen, uh, Gary Cohen, sorry, who both expressed that this season like felt different from the beginning that there was a sense that this team was not as tight knit and that now players feel as if everybody is on the chopping block, which is not true. Like I I don't know why Gary would say something like that because the rumors had always pointed to one specific player. It was Scherzer. And so it, it makes me think that either something is being misrepresented by the media, which is always 
something that should be considered when we're talking about the New York beat writers, or there is very much a a dissonance between what the front office is trying to do and what the clubhouse is doing. And whether it's the clubhouse knowing that the front office is doing this and simply not agreeing with what they're doing or not knowing at all what the front office is doing, that's a problem because winning organizations have to be on the same page. They have to know what direction they're heading in. And if there is a problem in communication between the front office and the the clubhouse and maybe the managerial staff, then this is not a team that is built to win. I like I I, I don't I, I'm not surprised at all that any of these trades went down. I'm simply surprised by the player reaction to to the events that went down yesterday. Yeah, and I mean very clearly Max Scherzer went to the front office at some point and there was a disagreement because he then got traded yesterday before the Saturday before the game um and it's a very it's a very weird situation they got Luis Aniel Acuña who's Ronald Acuña Jr's younger brother um he seems to be a very good prospect he's top 100 prospect going into the the season and he's been very good this season um, there was a lot of confusion over what was going to happen in the trade, the, the, the money and no trade clause, and he's going to waive it, and then he wasn't going to waive it, but he had a problem with the option stuff, and then he they, he waived it, and he went and immediately opted in for next year. It was a very weird sequence of events. Um, and I I'm at the I was at the game last night watching this happen and I had brought a friend of mine who does not follow baseball. So I am also having to explain what's happening and why everyone's reacting like this. Um but it was a very odd sequence of events that like it it end it was so you never knew what direction it was going to take and I think that's part of the issue too is that especially in New York Everything, every little minute detail is going to get amplified and broadcast a hundred times. So you have to imagine these players in the clubhouse watching this play out. You know, you know that these players know what's happening. Someone's telling them. I mean, we saw this back in 2015 with Wilmer Flores. All that stuff's breaking. He knew that that trade was, is it going to happen? Isn't going to happen? He's crying on the field. These players know what's happening. And it's got to be weird in that clubhouse for them, too. And that's going to lead to a negative reaction, too, because it's not just, oh, well, he got traded. It's, is he, isn't he, is he, isn't he? You know, like, it's, it's a weird situation. There also seems to be a wide gulf between how much the players like Max Scherzer and how much the fans like Max Scherzer. Because I'm under the impression that a lot of Mets fans simply don't like Max Scherzer because he was a thorn in Mets fans' side for years and also because of his final two starts in 2022. I thought the reaction to getting a top 40 MLB prospect for an aging Max Scherzer would be a lot more jubilant than it is, but it's not. And when you couple that with the players who seem to have really, really liked Scherzer, and I can see why he's a very good player. He's very competitive. He's on the executive committee of the Players Association. He seems to be a, the ideal player to have in the clubhouse. It, it's just a, a weird alchemy going on here where, like, once he's gone, I, I wonder if a lot of Mets fans realize, oh, like, this this whole thing that was put into motion last year by the Max Scherzer signing, it's uh, it's not going to work out, is it? Well, that's the thing is, you know, I'm, I like, Max Scherzer's a player I love just simply as a player I love, no matter what team he's on. I, I He was one of those players that when he was a national, I begrudgingly loved him because he was so fun to watch. But as a Met specifically, he was great last year. Let's, let's not, beat around the bush there he was uh, he was basically the reason why because their pitching staff was good last year but he held down the fort while Degrom was hurt again um but he's not he's not not going to go down in the pantheon of great Mets pitchers or he wasn't here for years and years and then really you know he had two bad starts at the end of last year that screwed them over at the end you know with with the winning the division and then the the wild card series 
Um, and this year, you know, he's been up, he's been down. He was suspended at one point, injury issues, everything like that. He also, he's been fine this year, but he's not great. And they're paying him $40 million. They're, they're paying down a lot of his money to leave, but also they're not paying $22.5 million, which is going to essentially become like $40 million they're not paying next year anyway because of the, the, the tax they'd be paying on that. So the fact that they've gotten Luis Agnel Acuna, who by all accounts is a very good prospect, for Max Scherzer at this point in his career is crazy. I I don't understand the the I feel like there's a lot of Met fans who believe that we should be able to trade every player that we have for the best prospect in baseball and nothing less. Um and that's just not the way it's going to work and you've got to try and get the really good player, the best player you can get in the scenario and them pulling off this deal for Luis Aniel Acuña is that. The best teams in baseball right now are young and they're fast. And Acuna is that he we don't know if he's going to bring the bat of his older brother. But even if he brings half of the offensive production that Ronald Acuna brings, that's a star player in in this league. And I I think I saw on Twitter that Acuna is 42 out of 46 on stolen base attempts in the minors this season. That is absurd. (laughs) The Mets don't have anyone close in the organization that can do that right now. And that's that's what makes both the Robertson trade and the Scherzer trade exciting, in a sense, because this is a team that pretty desperately needs to get younger, faster, and more athletic. And that just happened right now. Like, simply by shedding two 38-year-old pitchers, like, you do that in the aggregate. But when you, when you bring on an 18 and a 19 year old infielder from Miami and uh, Acuna. Like that's, that's what organizations need to do when they see a sea change within major league baseball. That's what's happening. The Mets purchased a lot of veteran talent that didn't work out because the game rewards teams that are young and fast right now. So the Mets need to reverse course and get younger and faster. And they did that, and I think fans should be pretty excited about the future. And I mean, this—I didn't—I didn't realize this until I got home. Because again, I'm—I'm I'm at the game. I'm not really—I'm kind of bummed, you know, like the feeling in there. Watching them get like eight dropped on them in three innings is not fun. Um, but I got home. This guy, this kid, is also like—he's in Double A. He's gonna be up soon. Like, if not the end of this year, he'll be up next year at some point. And he's a second base shortstop, center field. Like, he can play all three positions. You've got Jeff McNeil at second, who I love Jeff, but he's also going to be, what, 33, 34 next year? If you can get him so that he's playing now left field, right field more, and now this fast, you know, maybe star player is going to play second base for you, and he's 23, 24, that's great. That's great for your team. It's... It's an exciting trade. I don't think people are going to realize how exciting this is until he actually comes up and they see him because right now they're still, you know, obsessed with getting Mark Vientos at bats and Ronnie Mauricio is the next big thing. But I, I, I don't think people realize how good this is of a deal until they're going to see this kid next year and they're going to go, wow, this is, this was, this was actually a great deal. Acuna is hitting 315 in double A. He has an 830 OPS with 42 stolen bases, and he's 21. He's 21. He's 21? Holy cow. He's 21. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, this is this is, this is is a great deal. I mean, and, and again, like you said, this episode's going to go up by the time the trade deadline's over, but we have no idea what's going to happen in the next few days. I think it's safe to say. I feel like the safest one to say is Fam's going to leave. Fam's going to get traded. Like, I, I, I expect him literally he must be packing his bags right now. You, you he has to know he's going. Um Canna's probably getting traded. They might trade Narvaez. The big question mark is Verlander who's pitching today on the thirtieth. Um I that's one I don't know. Just cause he is he a week ago he said he wouldn't waive the no trade clause, but I think the calculus has changed a lot. But also who like now if you trade Verlander you're gonna have to fill three slots next year um which is gonna be difficult to do in addition to paying 
the money with Scherzer. That's, you know, some of that money's still going to him. Assume, assuming you'd probably have to pay some for Verlander or whatever. It, it's a very weird... I don't know what's going to happen next other than, like, I'm expecting by the time we record next that Tommy Pham will be in a different jersey. Even if none of that happens, even if the Mets hold Pat, I think we can all agree that this is a more exciting trade deadline than we got from last year. What, Tyler Naquin didn't really rile you up? I, I, I don't I don't get goosebumps from Michael Givens coming into the game. Hey, Met uh, legend Darren Ruff. Ah, oh, goodness gracious. All right, uh, we, we've hit our arbitrary time limit for, for the first act, but we are going to bring more Met stuff in the second act because still got a lot more to talk about. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. All right, and we're back. So we're going we're gonna to get a little bit more into the non-trade deadline aspect of uh, the Mets going forward. Um, so now that Scherzer's gone and they're looking like they're going to be bad the rest of the way, like that's very clearly what they're going to do. Uh, it's not going to be a very fun team to watch probably other than, you know, your, your specific things to watch, you know, seeing if, you know, Pete just hit his 30th home run last night. Let's see how far he can go in the last two, two months. Um, Francisco Alvarez personally will be my favorite part to watch for the next few months yesterday reminded me where I'm trying to ask myself, what was the reason I watched those bad Mets teams? What was the reason I watched the 2013 Mets? What was the reason I watched the 2018 Mets? Like what brought me to the television in those days? And no, I wasn't watching them as much as I watched the 2022 Mets, for example, but there, there were reasons why I watched the 2013 team. If it was, you know, Matt Harvey taking the mound, there was reasons why I watched like a young David Wright or a young Jose Reyes. And so does this team have those ingredients to make a watchable team over the next couple of months? And I think you sort of answered that question. Yes. Um, the, the big name starter, a la an R.A. Dickey or a Matt Harvey carrying an otherwise unimpressive starting rotation, uh, that exists still. Hopefully Verlander will still be on this team. Kodai Senga starts are still exciting considering how much of a turn he's had after his all-star break nomination. Um, and the young stars are still here. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that watching the, the baby Mets is is fun, but I do think the idea of playing them is very important for the organization. And I don't think we can even consider Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty baby Mets anymore. <laughs> they are full-time starters. They are going to be the starting catcher and third baseman respectively next season. And so they, they are the reason to continue watching if there is a reason to continue watching. 
Uh, although I will not begrudge anyone who had high expectations and is deciding to turn on the New York Liberty for the rest <laughs> of the summer. Well, I mean, there's only so many Liberty games. So, you know, while I encourage you to watch every single Liberty game because they are super fun, um, it's the World Cup's on too. So you could always watch that. Um, it, it, definitely, Senga is, is especially, did you see the stats he had this past month? He might be appointment viewing for the rest of the year. Um, it's not it's not going to be as, you know, like you said, I'm not going to sit down and make sure I see every single game like last year. You know, it's I'm going to probably find there's probably going to be more times that I'm going to go. Do I have to watch the Mets today or can I go see a movie instead? You know, like that's going to be my my calculus going forwards. But yeah, I mean, Alvarez and Beatty, um, Pete, I mean, who knows? Luis Aniel Acuna is in, in Double A. That's all I'm gonna say. It's not gonna. It wouldn't be the first time someone's been brought up from Double A right to the major leagues at the end of the season. I, you know, you you never know. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's still there's still fun players to watch. I mean, I love watching Francisco Lindor play baseball, and I will always love watching Francisco Lindor play baseball. So there's there's things to watch, and there's things to be happy about watching. Like you said. 2018, you found things to watch. I mean, obviously, watching Jacob deGrom win the Cy Young with that electrifying year. Um, for me that year, I loved watching Jeff McNeil after he came up. That was that was my other big mm-hmm. thing that season was he was such a fun player. That was the start of me just – it was my favorite part of that year other than deGrom, was just watching Jeff McNeil come up and be that good. And I think any year, even the worst year, you can find one thing you like to watch, you know, it, it's, it, they're not going to be so, they're not going to be, you know, Oakland athletics bad. There's no way for that to happen this year. I mean, there is a way for that to happen, but <laughs> the, sure. the, the ways in which that would happen would be cataclysmically bad. Like that, that wouldn't, that, that would be like something, like something went terribly wrong in their, their processes. Other than that small chance, hopefully, um, they're not going to be so bad that they're unwatchable every night. You will find things to have fun with. And, you know, I don't also begrudge anyone for starting to dream of the offseason and, and what might happen then. Because there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff. The, the, the calculus on the 2024 Mets has changed, but it's still interesting to think about. What's the most interesting off-season storyline Shohei Otani. to you is it is, is, is it is it I, I don't have to to continue that question what what is what where do you perceive Otani going doing are the Mets involved in any way do they drive up the price are they serious contenders like what 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 is going to happen with the Otani sweep so I think them trading all of their one-year guys or their older veterans, I don't know that that changes the calculus too much on Shohei Otani's thinking for this team if they can sell him really well on, well, this offseason we're really going to go for it. We just didn't like the way it was built last year. I also think the Mets are a serious contender only because who is going to be willing to pay Shohei Otani what he is looking for this offseason. Because he is, as of right now, there's a very decent chance he has maybe the best season in baseball history. Right? He's going to make, he's going to clear $400 million. That's That is not a question in my mind. He might clear $500 million. He might be the first $500 million baseball player. And I think he would deserve it, very clearly. You're getting two players in one and two superstar players in one. Um, Who is going to be willing to offer him that money is I think that's a very short list. And I think it's the Dodgers, who you can't count out in any situation. The Mets, the Padres. I I, I know Artie Moreno and the Angels have said, oh, we're going to try in the offseason to keep him. I don't think they offer him that much money, just knowing what the Angels do. Um, it's it's a very I think they're in it just by virtue of Steve Cohen. Like Steve Cohen's the factor here. I agree. And the reason why I'm a bit less optimistic than you is because of that other team that you named. The Dodgers have 
a big leg up on the Mets in every respect except for money. And the Dodgers have even addressed the money concern that they have because they don't have the ability to outspend the Mets, but they can get pretty close. And they pared down their roster this year specifically to get themselves in on the Otani sweepstakes. We also heard a bit of chisme earlier this week that Otani really, really likes living in Southern California, specifically because his girlfriend really likes it here. And the big news from that is Otani has a girlfriend. <laughs> I thought baseball was his girlfriend because he doesn't seem to be doing anything but baseball. I, I would put a lot, a lot of money on Otani staying in Los Angeles, not to the angels, to the Dodgers specifically. And if the Mets are a factor in this, I think it will be in a Trevor Bauer style bidding war with Los Angeles that drives up the price significantly. And uh, that ended up working out really well for the Mets in that situation. But we're talking about Otani in this case, not Trevor Bauer. Yeah, these are two very different people. Um, very different people. Not even just from a baseball standpoint. Just like a personal, these are very two, two very different people. But I mean, also... Listen, you don't get Shohei Otani. That is a big blow. But that's a big blow to the 29 teams that don't have Shohei Otani. Um, it, it's – there's other players they could get. Obviously, none to the level of Shohei Otani. But at the same time, Corbin Burns is going to be available for trade next offseason. I don't think that that's any sort of question. Um, Aaron Nola is not the greatest pitcher, but you could sign him. They – Epler just went over and looked at that pitcher Yamamoto in Japan. So they obviously have an eye on other Japanese pitchers in that realm. Um, you could, if you're going to trade a bunch of guys and get a bunch of pieces in your farm system, you could price check Juan Soto next offseason because I, everything I've seen with him and that team, I don't think he's extending. I don't know that he likes it there. So... If the Padres are looking at that and saying, we don't think we can keep this guy, let's try and get something for him for the last year of his contract. And then you get Juan Soto, who has publicly loved New York. Like, this guy publicly has loved New York every single time he's come here. He talks about loving New York. Um, might not hurt to sort of temperature check that one. Because if you don't get Shohei Otani, but you do get Juan Soto, and let's say he doesn't like it in San Diego, and that's part of the reason why he maybe hasn't been as good as he was with Washington. Um, and the other issue is is that uh, people have said this, and it's not always the biggest deal, but New York's closer to, where is he from, the Dominican Republic? New York's closer than, than sure. San Diego in that aspect. It, it's There's other options for next year. They might, they're not going to be as good as Otani, but you could, you could get reasonably good stuff next offseason and reset your team and you know you still got francisco lindor you could extend pete alonzo and and you know you got something going there i agree i think that these trades that we've seen are a white flag for 2023 but not necessarily 2024 and i try to not get excited about potential trades even though that's a very fundamental part of being a baseball fan because trades are something that are kind of out of the team's control because you need a partner like getting free agents being only a matter of money is a much more realistic way to build a team in the offseason and outside of Otani and Marcus Stroman who the hell if he's coming back to New York <laughs> there, there really is no free agent pitcher in Major League Baseball right now that sort of gets the blood going because Clayton Kershaw is going to be an unrestricted free agent, but he's going to be in his late 30s. Julio Urias is the youngest pitcher that's going to be an unrestricted free agent, but his 26-year-old body is looking a lot more like a 31 to 32-year-old body with how much mileage he's put on and how injury-prone he is. I, Aaron Nola, you're really <laughs> going to throw $200 million at him? Like, I'm, I'm higher on Yamamoto than I was on Kodai Senga, and I follow NPB decently well and certainly more than an average major league fan and the reason why I wasn't terribly high on Senga was because I thought his fastball wouldn't play well in the majors but it's played really well and Yamamoto is I, I believe he's only going to be 25 and he's 
better than Senga ever was in Japan. And yeah, that's that's a recipe for success if the Mets can convince Yamamoto that he this is a destination for for a star. But um, I think much like Otani, you have to worry about Yamamoto preferring a team on the West Coast just because that seems to be where a lot of Japanese players want to go. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 hard to dreamcast a situation like that because there are more factors at play. Um, but yeah, I mean, you also have to look at the... the, the if you're not going to be in LA, New York's the second best place to be. Like, just from a standpoint of how you get marketed. So if you're Yamamoto and you're saying to yourself, I want to come over here and I want to be a star. There's not a ton of places on the West Coast other than LA that you could reasonably get a ton of marketing like that. I mean, look at Kodai Senga has become somewhat of a sensation here in New York. Just the ghost fork is such a identifiable thing, but this is a great place for stars to be this is why basketball teams here get stars and 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 you know it's a destination to be as a athlete you want to be here this is where stuff happens but you also might you know if he's not as determined to be a huge star you could go to a place like if Seattle wanted to sign him, you know, that's right there on the West Coast. There's not some sort of issue there. Um, he could go to the Angels and then also have the first six years of his career wasted. Um, it, it's There's a lot of different moving pieces in a sign. And also the other, the other sticking point with Yamamoto is I believe his team does have to post him. So if he doesn't get posted, then none of this means anything. He, he will get posted, though, if only because... The, the Oryx Buffaloes, as uh, as good a team as they currently are, they're historically the worst franchise in NPB and are also the poorest franchise in NPB. And considering that Yamamoto will likely earn the, the biggest contract in free agent history coming out of NPB. And yeah, that, that posting fee is fixed. It, it's not something that um, is dependent on the value of the player coming out, but uh, yeah, they're going to want the money. The the only team in NPB that has a no posting policy is the SoftBank Hawks, uh, the franchise that Kodai Senga was from. And that's the only reason why Senga had to wait until he was 31 instead of 26 to come out of the league. Um, in general, most teams will be happy to post. It's really the the, the biggest ones like the, the Giants and the Hawks that uh, don't really do that. Yeah, it's... I'll just, I'm going to say this too, like, I think it's really fun that the Mets are back in on Japanese players. I remember being younger and they got, um, <laughs> Kaz Matsui is the, is the big, like, uh, player that I, that comes to mind. Um, which is funny, but like, that's the age I was. But like, it's fun because I feel like for so long, they didn't have any sort of player from Japan or Korea or anywhere. It's... It's a totally uh, – what it does is it brings fans to the stadium. You know, you see this with when mm -hmm. they had Lindor and Baez and Diaz all on the same team. You'd walk into City Field, there'd be so many Puerto Rican flags, and it was so cool. It energized the community, and it's fun to see communities be energized and sort of come in, and then the stadium is more fun because they're just – it's so – it's such a different electric energy in there. It's – you need to do that, especially in an area like New York and Queens, where there are so many different diverse groups of people that you can sign these players and all of a sudden a whole community is going to show up because they want to really support this guy. You're not going to get that in Kansas City. <laughs> you're not going not, not to get that in Houston. Like New York is is a wonderful place because of that. And that's that's why I think they can really sell New York as the exciting media market that it is because as an example, Francisco Lindor as a, a, as great a player as he is, he's still a perennial top 20 player in major league baseball is no longer the consensus best shortstop in the league, but he's the only shortstop I'm seeing on Corona commercials. He's the only shortstop I'm seeing with a shoe deal. Like simply being in New York matters. It matters so much for the public images of these players. And I'm so glad that someone like Kodai Senga 
realized that, took probably the best offer that he got, and is thriving in the biggest media market in the country. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch. And then the rest of the fan base also attaches themselves to this player. And then and now it's just oh, it's so hard to explain how excited I get about this. I think it's so cool to see a team of not all white guys. I hate it. And that sounds ridiculous, but like I do when I see a team that's like all white guys, I'm like, really? Like this is the best we can do. But I guess when you're in like Kansas City or St. Louis, like, you know, you gotta take what you can get. But there's a reason why they flock to you know, Latino players and and players from Asia flock to these bigger coastal cities like LA or New York. There's the community and there's the branding. I mean I could see Kodai Senga in a commercial, not just a Mets commercial, but commercials in the next few years. It's insane. I mean, look at Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani's on a team with Mike Trout, who, you know, Shohei Otani's the best player in baseball. Mike Trout's also been the best player in baseball for however many years before Shohei Otani's reached this level. Shohei Otani's making way more money than Mike Trout is on, on endorsements. I mean, I see those numbers come out where Shohei Otani's making like $40 million in endorsements and Mike Trout's making like two. Like, it's crazy. I, I think a lot of that is on Mike Trout. Well, yeah. I think if Mike Trout wanted to make a lot more on endorsements, he, he very much could. Yeah, well, I mean, he doesn't have the, the... I love Mike Trout as a player. He doesn't have the personality for that. 100%, 100%. All right, uh, we are once again over our arbitrary uh, time limit, but there was a lot of Mets news to talk about, and there still might be by the time <laughs> this comes out. So uh, we're going to come back in Act 3 with something a little different. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply grace this is the 15th episode of our podcast we are nearly four months in on this endeavor and we finally have a twitter account can you talk about the the brand new flushing is burning twitter yeah account? so i finally i had a little bit of time yesterday um and i said to myself well i could sit here and do nothing or i could actually do something so i created a twitter account an instagram account and an email for our show um, so the Twitter account is, and I want to make sure I get everything right because I don't want to send anyone to the wrong place. Um, our Twitter account is at FIBpod. Flushing is burning is a little too long for Twitter. So F at FIBpod. Our Instagram is, let's say, I believe Instagram is just, is flushing is burning pod. Uh, so the name of the podcast and then pod at the end. And then our email, surprisingly, no one had taken the name of our podcast for an email. So our email is literally flushingisburning at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I mean, I started them yesterday. I haven't done any major posting, although I did immediately. I made the, the accounts and then within two hours, I immediately had stuff to post about. Um, so I tweeted a little bit about the, the Scherzer trade, been posting a little bit on the Instagram story. I don't know exactly what kind of... Um, if there's going to be any sort of exclusive content on these platforms or if I'm going to expand anywhere else. But I figure it's good to sort of have a, a home base to be reached at, which is why I thought that these three were very, uh, very good places to start. It also gives us an opportunity to see how many people are actually listening <laughs> to this because uh, we don't exactly have access to, to metrics at this point. We've been told uh, how many downloads that we get, but we don't have very much interaction. And it's simply because we haven't created the avenues for that interaction. And so, um, A, I'm, I'm super glad that 
the, the flushing is burning handle was available on Gmail. Awesome. Um, but I also want to talk about as someone who doesn't really exist anywhere on social media, except for Twitter, and even then only begrudgingly, what exactly is our social media strategy? What, what are we going to post? What are we going to, to zeet? What, what are we going uh, to, to give the people outside of what we're already doing? So, you know, immediately right off the bat, you know, it's going to be the place to find if you, you know, new episodes when they go up. I mean, I've been posting them on my personal Instagram account, but also my personal Instagram account is private. So that really only reaches my people. Um, you know, it's a place to that like that. I figure this is a good place for sort of in between episodes commentary. Um, I you don't really exist on social media, so my guess is that ninety five percent of the time it's going to be me. Um, so if you want to hear my stupid thoughts, that's the that's the place to go. Other than my personal account, um, but you know any sort of small thoughts on you know small bits of news you know anything huge or any big thoughts i have are obviously going to stay for this podcast but i think it's a good way to sort of connect with people in the interim we have a podcast once a week but this is really a one-way thing it's not like you can talk to us while we're talking um this is a way to reach out if you have questions or anything like that that we can maybe we'll do some i think it might be fun to maybe once in a while if we build up a nice following do a do a q a segment or anything like that i think it's an interesting way to sort of have that way to be in its own controlled sense reached for by people who listen I think that's the reason why I'm most excited about the email address, because we can open up things like mailbags or questions from listeners. And if no one sends us anything, we don't have to tell anyone. It's not going to be a publicly facing thing. Like we, if we did AMAs on Twitter and no one responds, I'm going to feel <laughs> real bad about that. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give people the opportunity to make us look like that. If you want to tweet us a question, then that's fine. But I'm never going to be like, send me your questions, especially right now, since there's two followers of our Twitter account, which is mostly because I created it yesterday. The two followers are you and I. Um, but I, the email is fun like that, where we can sort of send us questions. And then if a few weeks go by and we get enough for a mailbag, we can do a mailbag. Then obviously, if we get any sort of really pressing stuff, we can do that immediately. But it's, I feel like this is also going to be fun as a way to see how we build an audience and if we can build more through these avenues. Because, I mean, I, I know it helps to have these avenues that now we can comment on stuff on posts and then someone sees our little tweet or our little Instagram comment and comes to our page and goes, oh, interesting, because I know some people, when that Brooks Raley tweet I had that went viral, some people in my comments, uh, in the in the mentions in Twitter, were saying, oh, I didn't realize you had this podcast. Let me go listen to it. So I think it's interesting if we can do something like that and keep it very specifically based in the podcast where people don't even have to see that I host a podcast. They just know the name of the podcast is right in front of their face. I also do want to point out that our podcast logo is something that I whipped up in Microsoft <laughs> Word a month ago. It's not something I'm terribly proud of. It's something that we needed to get out there simply to, to get on publishing platforms. Um, but I don't really have an idea for a better one. And honestly, except for the fact that it cuts off the number seven in the profile picture, I don't think it looks that bad on Yeah, here. no, I think it looks, I think as of, as is, even though it cuts off the seven, I think it actually is kind of a good profile picture. It's like very, it's subdued, but it's not like, it, it, it looks nice, I think. Um, and you know, if we come up with something better, we can change it. But as of right now, I don't think there's an issue with it. it says what it is on the box really yeah but now that now that we have social media handles we have to say things like like and comment and subscribe and, and i don't know how how much i'm going to be able to do that week to week i can i'll take care of that don't worry maybe i'll make a tiktok we can be we can be tiktok stars do you want to do a dance no <laughs> no i i, I happily to uh, happy to do that privately but i don't need any the shares or trade dance <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, I want to go away from this now. Grace, do you have a movie for us this week? Yeah, so um, last week we did Barb, and this week we're going to do Enheimer. 
Um, I went with my best friend from film school and um, one of his friends from school and his parents. We went and saw Oppenheimer in IMAX, not 70 millimeter, probably what they would call LIMAX, which there's two different types of IMAX. There's like a laser IMAX and a non-laser IMAX. If you're going to see, I'm, I'm getting really into the weeds on this, but needless to say, I did see it in the biggest format possible to me at the moment. Um, it's overwhelming is the word that I used in the moment. I, the movie ended and I felt so many things and chiefly it was a mix of a, this is going to be a terrible way to sell this movie, but I'm just telling you how it made me feel. A profound sense of sadness and anxiety. Um, but also, it's the best movie I've seen this year. I think it's Christopher Nolan's best film. And um, I, the last hour was one of the most electrifying hours of film I've ever seen. It's a very interesting, interestingly structured film where it's kind of like three movies that sort of roll into each other. And each one is fantastic. So like the first one is like, Oppenheimer's life as he was, you know, as he was coming into his own as a physicist. And then the second hour is literally just like, we're building a bomb. And then the third hour is like a courtroom drama where they're like, you're a communist. We don't want to give you any, any sort of stuff. And then Robert Downey Jr. is there. It's that last hour is so good. I love a good courtroom drama. And it gave me so much of that, which was great. What I, I, what I loved about it was it was so... It was so interesting in its way that it played with the form. We get so many biopics that are, biopics, however you want to pronounce it, that are so meh, you know, like, like so many, so many biopics sort of play it safe and it's just like, this one plays with the form. It has two different points of view and they change by color and black and white. And then you've got, you know, sort of these moments of anxiety where there, there's, you know, he's feeling all of these emotions about having built the bomb and, and every single person who shows up in the movie, you can't believe that they're in this movie. The amount of times I turned to my friend and was like, oh my God, I didn't realize he was in this for like five seconds. Um, it's the best thing I've ever seen Rami Malek do, um, which personally is not a high bar to clear. I've only ever really seen him be bad. Um, but he's, I was about to say, you don't like Rami Malek. It's, it's interesting where, like, I feel like I should, like, he should be someone I like. He's kind of, he should be doing this more often where he's, like, a weird little guy. He's not a weird little guy enough. He was kind of a weird little guy in No Time to Die, but he wasn't a weird enough little guy. Like, there wasn't, that movie was never going to give him the space to play with that. Um, Robert Downey Jr., this is the best I've ever seen Robert Downey Jr., and I'm a Robert Downey Jr. fan. Like, I... Not a Marvel, huge Marvel fan. Like, those movies are fine, but, like, they're not my favorite. But outside of those, I love him. I think he's a great actor. And I was sad that he was in those movies for so long because they kind of stopped him from acting. Um, but this is, I, I think, the best I've ever seen him. And I I've, I think he was up there for Chaplin. Like, I think that's one of those performances that's an all-timer. But I think this is way better than that. Um, Killian Murphy's great. Emily Blunt is great. There's a scene that she has in the movie that's just, it tore the house down, um, which is really funny for the kind of scene it is. Florence Pugh is great. It's really, it's an interesting film. And I've been reading the book that they based it on, American Prometheus. I'm about halfway through it. And reading it before was good because like the first hour and 15 minutes was what I was up to. And it's a very good adaptation. But what's also interesting is reading it and seeing how Christopher Nolan will take pages of story and translate it into a line or a movement or a shot that tells you the entire five pages of that book in that moment. It's, I can't stop raving about this movie. I'm going to see it again. I'm going to see it on Tuesday. I'm taking my dad. There's a theater near me showing it in 70 millimeter. I'm going to take him to see it. Um, but it's, it's genuinely, it's a great film. It's three hours long. It's a, it's a long movie, but at the same time, if you give yourself over, if you are interested, I never, I don't want to tell someone to see a movie simply to see it. If you are interested in seeing this movie and you go, if you give yourself over to this movie, the three hours are going to fly by. This is incredibly edited, incredibly paced. It 
does not feel like three hours long. I drank like a whole lemonade by like an hour in and I didn't realize I had to go to the bathroom until I got home. That doesn't happen a lot. Did you say three hours? Three hours and it does not feel like it. I know. Three hours. I'm a three hour movie kind of person. I love a three hour movie, but I understand that there are people who don't enjoy a three hour movie. I also love me a courtroom drama. It's second only to uh, newsroom drama. Mm. To me, that's that's my favorite movie genre. Uh, I, I'm not sold. I, I don't know if I'm going to be watching this this Oppenheimer for for the same bigness and anxiety inducing <laughs> scenes that you talked about in the beginning. I think that's all I needed to hear, and I was like, "Well, definitely not interested in this." <laughs> it's it's important. In a way that's like it's very, it's about the atomic bomb. But I feel like you could you could see the same thing playing out with like AI right now. Like it it, it feels very current in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, it's just if you here's my thing. This movie is going to be nominated for a lot of Academy Awards. Like like not to put every movie through that lens. I I don't think that that's the be all end all of movies. So many of my favorite movies weren't never won one weren't nominated but this movie is going to be nominated for so many academy awards because there's so many good performances and every single one of the crafts is at the best and i am kind of wondering if it might break the record for nominations like that it's that good and it's that many elements that would get nominated that like i could see it happening if a if a couple things fall in the wrong place but i i think it's gonna get like 10 nominations at least I I I already kind of got over my nuclear war to existential dread though. Like I don't I, I don't want to rip that band-aid open again. I'm already feeling enough existential dread over the environment and AI decimating my professional industry. Like I do I need to add a third existential dread to my plate? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's good to have variety. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if this is the diversity, equity, and inclusion I was promised. <laughs> I listen again. I'm not going to tell any, especially a movie like this. I understand if you don't want to see it. I also think it's insane. I don't know. I, I'm also someone. I don't track box office. It doesn't matter to me. But I do think it's crazy that this movie did as well as it did in its opening weekend, where it's a three-hour-long adult drama about like a communist sympathizer who built the atomic bomb, and it made almost ninety million dollars the same weekend as Barbie. This is crazy, but it's kind of great that it did that too, because maybe maybe this will inspire one studio executive to take a chance on something else that's this weirdly like it's it's weird in a different way than i said barbie was weird barbie's weird in like a funny way this is just like artistically like very interesting to watch and if one studio executive says hey maybe we can make movies for adults i will be very pleased I don't want to open up another 15-minute conversation, but how funny is it that these two movies come in to save the industry just as a strike is going to decimate it again? It, it's it, – it, I've was talk. i been talking about the strike a lot. I, I get asked about it a lot because a lot of my – the people around me who don't aren't as in on the industry ask me about it. It's – this is going to be a real moment of – stupidity for these studio executives that they are going to let the, they're going to piss away this moment um but at the same time the barbie the barbie marketing team really did something special here like i don't know what they did but they need to run the world this is crazy <laughs> because they kind of i don't know they kind of ran with the barbenheimer thing and they dragged that you know like that movie i think the original projection was 40 million dollars opening weekend for oppenheimer and it made 80 that's because Barbie, like the the whole Barbenheimer thing, dragged that along, and at a certain point, the Barbie marketing team saw that and leaned into it. So, and the funniest part is, the Barbie releasing the same weekend as Oppenheimer started out as Warner Brothers being petty because Nolan left Warner Brothers, so they did that to screw Nolan over. And then Chris Nolan ended up getting the best opening weekend of his career, and will probably have one of his highest grossing non superhero movies be because Warner Brothers tried to screw him over. Good for yeah. him. I'm happy for you, Christopher <laughs> Nolan. I don't like very many of your movies, but I'm happy for you in that regard. I'm always happy when someone screws over the executives. Always, always a good fight. 
All right. Well, I I think that's a, a good place to to end this episode. Grace, do you have any final words before we part? Um, I'm expecting to have a very interesting conversation next week post trade deadline. And um, why don't you follow us on Twitter and Instagram? On Twitter at FIB Pod and at Instagram at Flushing Is Burning Pod. And if you'd like to email us, the email is flushingisburning at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We'll write down all that info in places as well. That's an excellent way to end this episode. I hadn't even considered you that. You see, I told you um, I'd do it. All right. Thank you, Grace, so much. And uh, we'll see you next see week. See you next week.